All right, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to the NST and Things uh, podcast. I am your host, Casey Smith. Uh, sorry for the uh, delay. Uh, as I had previously mentioned, we were on a, uh, a pretty long family trip, and then um, uh, it kind of just fell into some, uh, <laughs> well, what I've kind of learned about myself is uh, I have cortisol crashes. Shocker, because I do too much. Um, when... I have found over the years that when I'm in a, a highly stressed state and my body's just maintaining, 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 and that cortisol kind of dips off uh, and just kind of basically collapses, I get sick. So we had a little something go through our house, and uh, thankfully I uh, pulled through pretty quick. Uh, but we've had some other things we've been juggling as well. So um, sorry for the delay. I will try to get this out as soon as possible. Um, but today uh, we are going to deem this episode the autoimmune episode. And um, uh, previously mentioned, uh, I was talking about kind of like the spectrum of autoimmune conditions and how they, they do compare and relate, uh, to, you know, to some capacity, symptom manifestations can always be different. Um, that's what gives you different disease processes, right? So, um, uh, those symptoms can change, but I do believe there's some underlying, um, causations that, uh, most people I think can, they can wrap their head around and they could, uh, like I did, um, not necessarily just fix yourself because it's not always that easy, um, but to do things that can help uh, uh, contribute less to um, or can do things that will help contribute to your overall well-being, but help reduce some of the the signs and contributions that lead to the autoimmune stuff. So um, towards the end of the episode, too, uh, we do have some uh, some Q&A's that came in. So uh, I'm going to go over some questions uh, at the end, too. So I'm happy to have those. But let me start with um, just kind of my basic story. Um, you know, I was a, um, I don't even want to say a new graduate out of a, a, a local massage school. I was getting my degree in natural health. And um, one of my instructors in a neuromuscular course, um, I felt a trapezius muscle release. And it was profound. So he had referred me to Paul St. John. And that's kind of how I ended up um, learning the neurosomatic work. But uh, in my journey, when I was kind of going through those phases and trying to figure out life, um, I was heavy into training. Um, back then, I'd say I was probably, I'd say 250 on an average day. Um, I was very big, very training a lot um, and eating a lot. Um, and looking back at the autoimmune stuff now, I can see how Crohn's could manifest with some of the things I was doing to myself. I was uh, I was just kind of burning the candle at both ends. And um I, oh, there was one, one episode early, early on before I really even knew anything was happening, um, that stood out vividly in my mind because it was terrible. But at the same time, um, I was like, well, that's, that's really weird. Never had that happen before. Um, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night and before I had any signs, symptoms, you know, diagnoses from doctors and stuff, I had woken up with what felt like someone drove a, uh, a butcher knife, like a, a, a chef's knife into my abdomen. And I mean, gut wrenching. I mean, I've never been shot, but I can only imagine. Um, I was buckled over in bed in a fetal position, gripping my stomach. And this pain was just, I mean, relentless. Um, I mean, I couldn't even wrap my head around it at the time. And now even looking back, I'm like, that was one of the most awful things I'd ever experienced. And I can only imagine some people that have, you know, on a, on a similar journey as myself with the Crohn's, um, I'm sure they still experience that to some, to some capacity. Um, 
it's terrible. So I do understand, you know, when people do have autoimmune conditions, whether it's fatigue or, um, your body's just not feeling well, or, um, you're experiencing pain been there and it sucks. Um, but this one night really stood out in my mind and I remember it lasted for, I'll say a couple minutes felt like forever, who knows, uh, two, three minutes maybe. And finally it passed. Well, like the caveman I am, I was like, Oh, okay. It passed. I can go back to sleep now. No clue what it was. No further questions asked. Right. <laughs> Much before I, uh, I guess I ventured into the, the, the person I am now that asks all the questions and has more questions and questions that sometimes can't be answered. So, um, I remember I just kind of got up next day, you know, went off and I remembered it. Like I told people about it, but I had no idea kind of what was happening. And I don't remember the exact time frames. You know, when you're in the trenches, and I tell this to patients that are going through cancer, they have a, a, a family or, or, or uh, siblings, whatever, that might be going through um, through cancer, is like they need an advocate because when you're in the trenches, you got no idea what's going on. So some of my time frames might be off a little bit, but this is kind of the gist of what happened. And um, say in the following weeks, within a month or so, um, I was training had a normal training day, ate, prepared, did everything the same old, same old. And what I had discovered was, um, I want to say we got back and we were mixing up some protein drinks at a, um, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, his local smoothie shop. And I mean, I, I felt fine. Like I trained well, it was a good training day. And I took a sip, maybe a couple sips. And all of a sudden, I just had this overwhelming feeling of my body was just like, yeah, no thanks, guy, we're good. And like push the plate away from me. And it was, I mean, I kind of sat there and I was like, what, what, what's happening right now? And I was like, I would try to drink it, but my body was really like, hey, dude, like we're good. Like don't, we don't want anything right now. Like appetite out the window. And what I didn't realize at the time is my body was so inflamed, or my gut, I should say. My small intestine was so inflamed that, and I've, I've heard of other people experiencing this, when your bowels, there's an obstruction or something like that, or they're so inflamed and they're swollen, so so fecal matter, you know, uh, 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 food getting broken down, can't move through the intestines properly, um, once it come back out, right, your stomach will reject it, it'll kind of hold it in the stomach and try to purge it eventually. Um, and that's kind of what I was experiencing is my, my body was giving me the stop sign, like, hey, we're not doing this. Um, we can't. And I remember just like, I felt really weird. And then the recognition that my body was not behaving the way that it would. Cause I mean, I would train, we'd be at the gym for an hour and a half, two hours easily. Plus the commute time there and back. Um, I mean, training then in my life was an event. I mean, it was, you know, I was easily sectioning off two to three hours of my day to invest in this because I was just so passionate with it. And, um, Eating afterwards, eating before training was very common, very, very common. Um, but for whatever reason, my body said no. So I was definitely concerned. My buddy had some concerns and he was like, that's really weird. He was like, and I mean, especially too, like coming from someone that I look up to like a big brother, he was like, Hey, you probably need to go to the doctor. Like, this isn't a good sign. Like you should be hungry. You know, we just like, we just worked our asses off in the gym. So, um, anyway, he, I took his recommendation went and saw, um, my, uh, uh, what do you call them? Uh, general practitioner at the time. And they thankfully, cause it got me in soon. They thought I had appendicitis and I was telling them I couldn't eat. I was having these issues and I may have had some gut sensitivity then. Like I may have had some soreness. So, um, 
I do believe they had me come in to the facility, uh, to their office, and kind of like a little meet and greet. They palpated some things. They were like, oh, okay, yeah, like it's sensitive. Well, at the time, and I didn't know this because I was like, I was, I was in massage school, but I will tell you, there is a night and day difference between neurosomatic education and general massage education. And I tell this to my patients all the time is like, if you go to like a skin rub guy or gal, like there's certain things you don't want them doing. And when I explain why things are working the way that they are or not working the way that they are, it makes a lot of sense of why someone else maybe didn't get the response you wanted. Um, so anyway, I digress. So, uh, we, he palpated the area knowing now what I know, um, that portion, that quadrant of my uh, abdomen, my lower abdomen, uh, not only is my appendix there, but the ilium, uh, part of your, uh, your small intestine. And it was inflamed, but they saw it as appendicitis, at least palpation wise. So they rushed me off. I get a CT scan, pump me full of some fluids, do a scan, send me home. And then, uh, my doctor called me and he said, Hey, you have some inflammatory markers. Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, kind of beat around the bush, which I really didn't appreciate. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that as well. Um, not really having answers, but really not also like informing me of what the, 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 the plan of action would be. So we have a brief conversation, part ways. Um, the day goes on. Well, I'm just like, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss. I'm like, all right, well, I guess it was nothing. I guess this is a, a it's a freak event. Um, it'll improve. It'll get better. And he's not concerned. I'm not concerned. My appendix isn't, uh, appendix isn't going to explode. Um, we're fine. Well, then I'll say later that day, later that afternoon, I got a call from a specialist. And at the time, you know, mind you, I was probably 20, 21 ish, something like that. Yeah. 21, probably 22. And, um, I'm like my first, this is how dumb I am. Sometimes I go, Oh, wow. Like how, how special I am, right? Like he called his buddy and his buddy knows more about this and he's, he's, you know, going to give me some insights. Well, they don't give me any insights. They immediately go to, Hey, we need to schedule you, schedule you for an appointment. And I didn't realize at that point that he was referring me to a gastroenterologist because I had a gastro issue. Again, I didn't understand the compartmentalized medical system that we work in. Um, well, I don't, but the doctors do. So, uh, I go to the guy's uh, office and very like talk about like the worst bedside manner kind of a thing. He, I walk in or he walks in, I'm already in the room. Uh, I went with my mother at the time I was living at home, going to college and things like that. And, um, he goes, Hey, you have Crohn's. And I'm like, what, what's that? Like, what are you even talking about? And he goes, yeah, you have Crohn's. And he goes, it's inflammation of this and started like kind of running some things down. And he goes, um, we're going to put you on an anti-inflammatory, um, which the, the name of the drug it's like bud something. Um, I always forget the name of it. Probably a, a good thing that I like kind of not just kind of have processed and kind of moved on from that part of my life. Uh, I still have the pill bottle, but I by no means look at it frequently. Um, but I remember this drug and I looked it up at one point and it, you know, serves for asthma and things like that, but basically settles inflammation. So they found a secondary use for it for Crohn's, um, or for gut inflammation at least. And he prescribed me that kind of said like, Hey kid, you're stuck with us for the rest of your life. Like it's a lifelong disease. And, um, at the time, I mean, rocked my world. I mean, I had been in a, a motorcycle accident at 19. I've experienced a lot of life was trying to figure out who I was, where I was going to go, what I was going to become. And just very like, 
as every young man, every every uh, young woman's journey can be, just very just like muddy, trying to figure it all out. <clears throat> and now this guy's telling me, hey, you're going to be stuck with this for the rest of your life. Um, and now he's giving me a drug, and I'm like, okay, well, we kind of have a, a solution, I guess. So um, I was just kind of stuck in shock. And again, having an advocate, my mother, which unfortunately wasn't probably the best advocate at the time because she was very overwhelmed by everything, thinking like somehow, as I, any mother would, I broke my child, right? Like, who? Why, why do they have this lifelong issue now? So um, we leave. We're crying. It's very upset, very nerve-wracking. Uh, we go get the script filled. Still don't know shit. Like, the the and the I will say this one of the comments the guy made which made me want to throw him out the fucking window is and I to this day it's like uh, please doctors have good bedside manner he goes and he's looking at me mind you I'm not like fat I'm in shape you know muscular he goes um he goes hey don't worry about it you start taking this drug you can go back to eating cheeseburgers pizza chicken wings he's like you'll be fine and I'm like and mind you, this guy is not the epitome of health by any means, okay? I probably could have threw a marble around him and it would have caught orbit. So I go, okay, that's a little disrespectful, but whatever. So we part ways. Go get the drugs, start taking them. Now at the time, I was like, hey, I'll clean up my diet, which wasn't bad. I was eating chicken and rice, steak and rice, nothing terrible. But I was eating a lot, a lot of small meals. And um, I had reduced my meal consumption down greatly. I mean, I could, my body wasn't hungry. It was like, it was, it was pissed off. It's like, don't put anything else in us. We're trying to figure some stuff out. And I remember, I think it was the day maybe I'd started taking the medication. I thought I'd be okay. And I remember my mom had made salmon and just wh- wh- white plain rice, like nothing spectacular. Right. And, uh, <laughs> for me now looking back, I'm like, well, that's probably one of the worst meals, right? The fat and salmon, things like that. Uh, fats get absorbed in the ileum. That's part of what identifies Crohn's as Crohn's. Uh, the portion of your intestines that pull in fat um, and absorb fat and process them and everything is uh, it's pissed off. So immediately my stomach's like, nope. I eat within, I'll say, 10 minutes, throwing up. Very discouraged, very disheartened. Um, started taking the drugs. Probably took, I'd say, three, four days. I could start taking like baby meals and stuff like that, and it was helping. Now, mind you, I realized this was just a crutch. And this probably went on for a good, I don't know, month, two months. It wasn't long because the guy wanted to see me again and he wanted to follow up on kind of how things were progressing. But um, unbeknownst to me, he also wanted to put me on cancer drugs. Um, So that was the next conversation we had. But um, he had no intentions of just like setting me on that drug and kind of set it and forget it because I didn't understand what autoimmune uh, uh, conditions were. And um, I don't know if the, the, the industry still understands kind of really what's happening. Um, cause again, it, everything's just so chopped up and car- compartmentalized. So, um, he, or a uh, little time went on. I did discover that I could get away with, um, small meals, eating little things, shakes. Um, again, once the inflammation, the drugs started kind of working, cause it's not like I was, I was gaining much progress on my own. So, um, there is a place for medications. Um, not that you need to be on them all the time, but or real long-term, but in this situation, short-term, right? Medications are great. So it calmed the fire down. I was able to start tweaking some things, and um, I started doing a little digging around. Like a a friend of mine, and we'll come back to this too, um, the same guy that I was with that night, he goes, uh, hey, he goes, I did some research, and glutathione would be a, a great benefit to you. Like it's the mother of all antioxidants. Like if you could get this into your system, like this helps the the free radical damage. This helps the inflama- inflammation. Um, like this is the way to go. 
problem is you can't just eat it. Um, it has to be like intravenous or I later learned you can do suppositories and stuff. And it does help a lot. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't, I mean, we're talking probably six years uh, ahead of when I even found a glutathione suppository. So although it was a good option, couldn't get it. Couldn't, nobody, would, nobody did it. Um, so again, I just kind of small meals, managing, not doing nearly as much. My body was very fatigued um, with autoimmune conditions. It's attacking itself. So in this case, my immune system chose to attack uh, the ileum portion of my small intestine. Um, so you just have this kind of general fatigue. You're kind of run down, you're exhausted. And it's because your body never is turning off. It's just like full assault all the time. And as a result, it's causing damage, but it's also causing these symptom patterns. And then whether it's one or the other, it kind of, it keeps you from doing certain things or whatever. So, um, we finally get to the day of the follow-up and go in, meet the guy. He goes, uh, he goes, Hey, how you been doing? You know, how's the drugs been working? Whatever. I'm like, Hey, they're doing well. You know, I, I can eat. This is better. This is better. And I'm thinking, Hey, if this solves it, like I'm a simple man, give me the pill. I'm going to go back and keep doing what I was doing. Cause I wasn't doing anything bad, at least in my eyes. Um, and he goes, all right, that's great. That's working and everything he goes, that's not considered a long-term drug. And this is what stumps me to this day too, is how do they identify long-term drugs? Um, cause all drugs have symptoms. Anytime you force the body, anytime you tell the body to do something, it's going to have a reaction. That's why homeopathy and Chinese herbs and stuff work so well is because it's, it's more of a subtle invitation. Um, much like a lady, she likes to be invited, uh, you know, uh, uh, do you want to do this? Would you like to participate? Not, Hey, go do this because guess what? You're going to get pushback. And that's exactly what the body does when there's side effects and you take medications. So I didn't understand the whole premise of like short-term, long-term medications. sounds like a crock of shit to me. Um, but that's just my opinion. So his drug of choice, um, was, um, uh, what was it? Methotrexate, I think, or something like that. And, um, I believe it was a leukemia drug. Um, and I've heard of other words, Remicade and others, Humira and stuff like that, that they, they offer. But at the time, um, he was telling me that, you know, this was going to be the drug I was going to be on long-term. And, um, he said, and this is what really stood, stood out in my mind. And I kind of made a decision in this moment, um, that really, I think it changed the course. Well, it set me on a course. Cause I feel like I was just kind of wandering through the woods, but it definitely set me on a course of like, okay, we're going to do some things. And he said, when you start taking this drug, he said, you'll have to come in, you'll have to get blood work uh, within, I think he said a week. Um, I'd have to get follow-up blood work like a month later and then like three months later. And I was like, well, what's all the blood work for? And he goes, well, he goes, there's a possibility it can attack your bone marrow. And I think he also mentioned like liver damage. And um, I'm like... <laughs> this guy's high as a kite. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to put me, no, like what? And I mean, completely like, how do I go from a low grade, I consider low grade anti-inflammatory to a cancer drug when I don't have cancer. And now you're talking about, you know, I'm going to have symptoms uh, or side effects potentially worse than what I'm dealing with. It's like, you know, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so I was very hesitant um, and in that moment, I did kind of make a decision of like, I didn't even want another opinion. Um, I kind of had a lay of the land at that point of, I'm going to hear this kind of same conversation, uh, no matter where I'm at. 
and that was concerning. So I kind of, I wrote him off. I was just like, all right, well, we're not, we're not doing that. So like, what's, what's plan B, you know? And, uh, he, I don't think he ever formally wrote me the script, but we did have a little, a little talk at the end. And I was like, well, I go, I'm not comfortable with that. And, um, I go, that's kind of a lot to process. And I go, I'm, I'm very concerned about, you know, potential side effects. Um, like not eating and, you know, developing a bone marrow issue, uh, where it's now going to affect my blood supply. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd rather, you know, I'll eat some grass, like whatever, you know? So, um, I left that day and we, he was, he basically gave me another script for what I'd been on and I went into problem solving mode. So I went into, okay, well, I'm not doing whatever this guy said. So it's kind of on me. It's on my shoulders. And what I began to do was, um, kind of strategize and immediately I started looking up. I think that that very day when I got home, I remember sitting on the couch and I was searching, I knew I had Irish in me. I knew I had some German, some English. And, um, I was like, what did my ancestors eat? You know, am I eating the wrong things? And that was like first place my mind went was like, what did my old folks eat? Because I, we know the food supply today is jacked up, but like then I was just like, I'm like chicken and rice doesn't seem bad. Steak and rice doesn't seem bad. So then I do some digging and it's like, well, you know, obviously um, you know, I received a lot of potatoes and stuff like that. So I started experimenting with things like that, but there was never a, um, you know, oh, I followed the blood based diet or I did this or did that. I mean, I very much, much like this podcast built it as I flew it and much like I'll tell patients, um, if they do have dietary issues or even if they're trying to lose weight or they have some maybe like food allergies and stuff is you need a journal. You got to figure out. And thankfully for me, like I have a pretty good memory. So if, uh, I were to eat something, I would immediately reflect on those past two, three days, you know, following that meal, how things reacted. And at the time I feel like I was walking such a tightrope that it was like either I was going to do better or I had watery stools. And just so you know, that's kind of the, the symptom of Crohn's is you end up with just water stools because your, your ileum so inflamed, it can't absorb fats. So you end up with fats passing into the colon. And then, uh, I believe one thing I had, I had, I'd looked into as well is because the bile isn't breaking down the fats and it's things aren't metabolizing in the small intestine properly. It then kind of causes a ileocecal valve dysfunction, uh, which is the valve between your small and large intestine. And, um, I think this is what most people experience when they eat and they have to go to like have a rapid bowel movement sort of a thing is that valve is, is not functioning and the, the fats and the, the bile that aren't absorbed and digested properly hit the colon and the colon's like, you ain't supposed to be here, Jack, and purges it from the system. And that's why I think a lot of times when people eat, they have that sudden urge, like I have to go to the bathroom now. Well, you've stimulated your, your digestive system because you put stuff into your stomach. So it's like, Hey, anything that's in the system needs to continue to move. So your body goes, Hey, we need to keep the process moving. Well, when it does that stuff's going to hit your colon. And if it's agitating the colon, the colon purges. And that's, that was kind of what I experienced. So, um, I played that game doing the ancestry stuff, looking at, um, juicing. I did juicing for a while. Uh, I'm not a big, uh, a vegan supporter. Uh, I think there's some, there's some holes in that. And I think you're, you're causing some deficiencies long-term. Um, but at the time, the, the, uh, I don't want to say pre-digested, but the juicing with it already broken down, it was less burden on my body to metabolize and get those nutrients in. So I do feel like that helped, but I feel like it helped in the sense that it was, 
I began to I began to to introduce things that were less of a meta- metabolic burden on my body or on my system, and in turn, I would have less flare-ups. Now, as all this was happening, I was finishing my degree. I was introduced to neurosomatic therapy. I took my first seminar, and in my first seminar, we go into cranial work. We do all this cranial work, and that's when I realized I was like, wow, there's so much more out here than I even know about. And one of the things I learned about that in that first seminar was uh, vagus nerve impingement. And they explained like the, the brainstem and where these nerves are coming out, how things are innervating, what they're controlling, and that we have the power to change it. And at the time, I had no, no understanding. I was like, I, I was a D student in anatomy, okay? So I go from that to this. I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. So all of a sudden, I have a little hope, right? And I'm still kind of, I'm walking the line. I'm still, you know, I'm not eating terrible, but, you know, there was, you, you know, times I'd go to Subway or, you know, things like that, but never like, and I, trust me, I would try. Um, like I, I remember going to Hooters one time and like, uh, Hooters, um, I'll say gravies, things like that would always agitate my system, but there was more fats in it. So obviously it did. So I just kind of, you know, walked the line, figured out what I could get in, what I couldn't get in, kind of played the game with myself. And it wasn't until my second seminar, uh, with neurosomatic therapy that I actually made some, met some good practitioners that gave me some better insights. And then I learned about the visceral work. Um, now visceral work in neurosomatic therapy, I think can get overlooked a bit. Um, the best way I can describe it, uh, kind of like a short little analogy would be if you can imagine your body is the frame of a trampoline and visceral dysfunction, you know, kind of spasms, you could say, or knots in the, the organs themselves, because they're muscle tissue too, it's just different. It's smooth, striated, um, or excuse me, smooth or cardiac. Um, most of your, uh, say like biceps, things like that are all striated tissues, but it's still muscle. So it's still, you can still treat it. Right. Um, but I didn't know that. So as we get into this, they're like, Hey, you can actually treat the small intestine and you can treat the ileocecal valve. And if it's stuck open or closed, you can do certain techniques to, you know, cause tone or detonify. And I'm like, my mind just blah, 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 like blown. But at the same time, I'm like, hope hope, hope, hope. And I just knew that the decision I made that day with that doctor, um, was the right one. It was, you know, God was leading me in a path of like, Hey, like you're going to have to put some work in, but I'm going to, I'll show you the yellow brick road, so to speak. And basically what I ended up doing at that point is I called my doctor and I kind of played the, the poor, you know, college student card. And it was just like, Hey, you know, um, the, the new drug really scares me. You know, I'm starting, I'm in college. Um, this is a lot to begin with. Um, you know, can I just stay on the drug you prescribed me? And this is kind of when I called bullshit too, with the whole like long-term short-term drug, because they were fine with it. And not only were they fine with it, but I had convinced them to give me a, a prescription for the whole year. So I didn't even have to go back and see this guy. So I was like, great. I have a year. I have one year. We can sort this out. I can figure it out. And I kind of was just like, I would, um, I would more or less be willing to, to cause my own demise than follow someone else's, you know, um, I was going to say like false teachings, but it's like he had his paradigm of thought that he operated in and I wasn't willing to accept that paradigm. Like I knew what he was saying didn't make sense. So I'm a guy with the system a little bit. 
he gave me my script. I was able to keep doing what I was doing and just kept problem solving in the background. And um, during that process, when I had learned about the visceral work and started doing massage, that was the first time I started getting relief and feeling that the, the knots in my gut were actually loosening up. And what I began finding was the um, uh, small intestine itself, when I would do the counterclockwise motions, it would start to calm down. It would detonify, right? It's like it's all in spasm because it's irritated. And just from that, I would find I'd probably get about, a, uh, I'd say two, three days, two, three days of, of relief in the sense that my pants fit better. There wasn't this pressure. Um, it didn't feel like my belt was digging in to that area. Cause when you sit down your, you know, your waistline uh, of your uh, pants, your belt would be right there kind of compressing that region. And I just started noticing things like that get better. And I'm like, Hey, if bowel moves are getting better, that means what's happening inside is getting better too. So I just kept kind of walking that line. And in that seminar series, there was a, a Czech practitioner there. Um, she had informed me of probiotics, which oddly being in the health world, um, had no idea of the benefits of probiotics or anything like that. And then after I learned about probiotics, I realized that I had spent my entire high school years crushing all of my gut flora. So as this whole, you know, again, kind of, you know, uh, being exposed to neurosomatic therapy and walking this path, I start seeing all these red flags like, of course, of course, of course, of course. And none of it, none of it was something that was mentioned by a doctor or anything that they ever questioned or wanted to have insights about. None of it. So I had, I was, uh, you know, uh, just kind of raised in the sense of like, hey, you got sick, take the antibiotic. And we're seeing results of that now. Like if you go to urgent care and stuff like that, they have posters up that say like, hey, antibiotics aren't always a sign or always the fix because people get pissed off. They, they want to leave if they didn't get, you know, this or that type of antibiotic. And it's just, um, it's crazy. So for me, okay, sorry for that. Had another technical difficulty. We, uh. Uh, it's just nonstop sometimes. All right. So, uh, back at it with the, um, the antibiotics. <clears throat> so I had trashed my gut flora. Um, again, being younger, I just don't think it was, I mean, nobody knew really. I mean, it was, it was kind of in the, you know, everybody got a Z pack back in the day. And if you didn't, like you were a little upset that they didn't do something. And then doctors, I feel like just kind of defaulted to that and really didn't understand or respect the, uh, the idea of gut flora and kind of how much it contributed and that, you know, that vagus nerve, right? You kind of have a direct line from your gut to your brain. So yeah, your gut's inflamed like you're a little foggy, uh, mentally, um, they go hand in hand, but it just wasn't there. So as I began adventuring into probiotics, um, one of the practitioners, she had like a breakdown or maybe some calculation that she could do. And, um, I don't know exactly how that's, how that's done, but for me, she said I needed like 16 point, 1 billion, you know, whatever, a million probiotic strands or not strands, but, um, the quantity, you know, usually it's like, uh, 10, 20, 30, 60, 80 million, billion, whatever they classify it as. And, um, so I started a very, just kind of plain, uh, probiotic. I started looking at, you know, the strains, understanding that there's fruit strains, there's animal strains, there's human strains. I now understand that there's extreme situations where people can do, um, fecal transplants, which is like crazy, like, I'd have to be on my deathbed, I think. Um, but people are understanding that the, the gut flora is significant and it plays a significant role. So, um, yeah, I mean, just uh, uh, working on the abdomen, getting the benefits of releasing the tissue, um, noticing the watery stools getting better, 
um, reducing meal size or just juicing or skipping a meal, that sort of a thing. Um, just kind of agitating the area less, but also doing things to help calm down the inflammation and, um, just kind of keep my body going. Cause I knew if I got some momentum and I could feel the momentum, like every time I kind of make a little, a little breakthrough, I feel a little more of my stride. And, um, what really shifted things for me is not just the visceral work, but when I would, cause I could kind of viscerally work on myself. Like it was, it was palpable. Like I could do it. Um, and I've gotten better at that over the years. Um, not that I have the issue now, but, um, if I need to self treat, like I can, I mean, I was working on my calves last night and it's, um, it's possible. It's just, you know, you kind of have to have some insights to, to do so, which I had. Um, so I was doing that, but then the other component was the cranial work and getting pressure off that brainstem, getting any rotation in the cervical spine or, or primarily your C1, C2, um, to alleviate. So it's no longer gripping that brainstem and potentially compressing the vagus nerve. Cause in a sense, what you're doing is you're creating a flickering signal. And I think this is a consistency. This is consistent. I want to say for most people, not just autoimmune patients, but most people, their C1s out of alignment. Why? Well, you were all born at one point in time, whether it was a C-section or a womb birth, vaginal birth, you're going to have issues. It's tough, tough coming into this, into this world. So either you manifested distortions then when ligaments weren't there to stabilize and help support things properly. And that rotation perpetuated on, or you had a trauma head, tailbone, pelvic, whatever the case may be, something shifted and you're now stuck there. And now things start to stack up against you. So it does beg the question, you know, did I have an injury at some point, um, where something moved, right. And I kind of have this agitation on my system now, or, a a, 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 not so great nerve signal to my gut. So now my gut's kind of trying to do some wonky stuff and it's not really doing a good job of sorting things out. The other thing I started looking at was, um, meal consistency. You know, when I was training a lot, I kind of followed that six to eight meals a day. And at the time it was just, um, a lot of food. I remember like, like really making myself eat everybody wants to be the biggest thing walking down the sidewalk. Right. So, um, I would force myself to eat a lot and not like in an unhealthy way, but it was like, you had to, you know, if you're kind of in that bodybuilding, weightlifting, powerlifting realm, um, you know, you need calories and you need certain things to get certain results. And that's kind of the headspace I was in. Well, as I'm constantly forcing my body into a metabolizing state, a parasympathetic state, I would then kick it on for two, three hours and be in a full sympathetic state going ham in the gym. And it was like my body. And I mean, sometimes I was putting down a, a not a full meal, but I'd put down maybe a small meal and then maybe have like oats mixed with, um, Oh, what was I taking then? Like a hyperbolic, uh, like a, uh, like a, uh, basically a carb type supplement, um, helps push glycogen in the muscle and whatnot. And I mean, just all the time, eat, 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 eat. So that was the big thing that really changed. Um, but really when I started getting the, the cranial work and some visceral work and then reinforcing that myself, I was noticing that two, three day range all of a sudden get to like five, six, seven, and I was getting more longevity. And then at the time, uh, one of my mentors was in a, um, a multi-level marketing company, um, which, you know, they are what they are. Um, the product was good. I just didn't like the whole background of it, you know? And, um, basically the essence of what it did was it was a anti-inflammatory product that generated the NRF2 gene that goes in and out of the cell to create glutathione. So again, like God's just showing me the path, right? Hey, this glutathione thing, 
here it's coming up again. It's not in this product, but what's in this product triggers a response within the body. So I got on board and I was taking that. I don't think I took much. I want to say at one point I was maybe taking like one or two a day, but even at that point I had in my head, I didn't want to rely on anything. And this is how kind of jaded by the whole process I was. I was like, I don't want a damn thing that I need to be relying on. I don't want to take that drug. I don't want to have to take this supplement. I don't want to have to pay, you know, a subscription. I don't want to pay fees. I want to live my life and keeping that kind of front and center and, and in a sense, kind of becoming my own advocate. And when you're not in the trenches so much, you can be your own advocate. You can really kind of take the bull by the horns. And uh, I mean, I've made, I have shirts in the office that say victor over victim. And the premise of victor over victim is you either have a choice to be the victor of your situation, or you can continue to be the victim, regardless of what happens to you. You don't always have a choice in what happens to you in life, but you do have a choice in how you respond. And I had that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get mine, like I'm going to make this happen type of response. And I wasn't just going to succumb. And if, if I was going to, you know, uh, uh, cave in, collapse, so to speak, it's going to be on my deathbed, you know, like I'm, I'm all in the trenches here. And I want to say after I started taking that product, again, timelines are a little fuzzy, but I started getting better and better. I noticed a little more, um, uh, or a little less inflammation, you know, the visceral work, I wouldn't have to do as much the cranial work. Um, I was still having to like, you know, kind of round up therapists to help me there. Um, cause I can't necessarily do that myself. Um, but I was making progress. And as I was making progress, the dose they had me on, I forget the milligrams, uh, say it was like 15 milligrams. They, I had to take three pills a day of the actual medication. The gastroenterologist gave me, and I started by taking one of those away. So then I was just taking two a day with the, um, the anti-inflammatory supplement. It's called Protandum, by the way. I don't know if they're still in, in business, but um, it, uh, it was helping. So I kept walking that line. And I remember I got to the point where I was taking one of the anti-inflammatories for a very long time. Very long time. In a sense, enough to, to kind of discourage someone like, well, this is as good as it's going to get, you know. And really what it was is... And I've really noticed this as a practitioner, the more, you know, the more you're willing to, to kind of cheat in a sense, like, you know, enough to dig yourself out of the hole that you're willing to go in the hole, which is kind of dangerous, right? Cause you're, you're skilled enough that, Hey, I know I can fix this and I kind of can wrap my head around what's occurring. But when you've been through some stuff, you're like, nah, what's a little bit more, you know? So, um, I feel like I was on that one pill in one or two pro a, a day for a while. And, um, I remember not the, the specific day or anything like that, but I was coming down to the bottom of the bottle. And again, I don't know if it was just, I had reached that point or my body had made a certain amount of progress, but I kept experimenting. You know, there'd be days where I'd take the medication days that I wouldn't. And, um, finally I got to a day where I didn't take it and I took the pro tandem and I almost had to start from ground zero again in the sense that I no longer was getting the medication that was really putting the fire out. So I really had to be diligent. And it was in that time period too, where the same practitioner who helped me about probiotics, we were doing TVA testing, which is a transverse abdominus, uh, or abdominals. And basically it's a, uh, like a corset muscle. It's a breathing muscle kind of pulls in the belly. Well, it's the deepest of all of them. And when your gut's inflamed, we create what we call a visceral to somatic uh, reflex in the organ being inflamed is actually turning the muscle off. 
And we did testing that day, and my dumbass went out and ate Subway. Again, the more you know, the more you cheat, right? I, I thought I kind of had this margin where I was like, eh, it's not terrible. Like, it's one meal, right? I, I ate a good breakfast uh, or juice maybe that morning, and I was going to have a good dinner. So I was like, what's one meal, right? I just need to get something in me to kind of sustain throughout the day. And I kid you not, she was testing me right there. Nothing would turn on. Not a damn thing. And I was just like, wow. Like, this is, and of course, she's asking me. She was like, what'd you eat? And of course, when she tells me, you know, I'm sure she wanted to pop a knot in my head, but I was just like, still kind of in that, you know, uh, you want to test the water, so to speak. And um, I will say since that day, I haven't haven't had Subway, but I really started acknowledging how certain things were inflaming my gut. And I had to be diligent because if I wasn't, things were still happening. And if I wanted to stay off the drugs long term, I really had to make some good changes. So um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where... Uh, it left me off and I, pardon me, I, um, really from that point, just kind of, you know, minded my P's and Q's did was that what I was supposed to do. Um, I want to say it was probably a year, a good year before I could really come off of the protandum, which agitated me. And I didn't, you know, like the, the, the company dynamic and, the, the, you know, like I kind of have a problem with this in general to be a practitioner, right. And you're selling yourself and your skills and abilities. And then at the same time go, well, it'd be great if you took this too, uh, or, well, it'd be great if you bought this. Um, I used to carry even like just general products like foam rollers and stuff. And I stopped partly because why buy it and have it sit around my office for years? Literally, I have some foam rollers that have been here for years because people are like, I'll just buy it on Amazon. I buy it on Amazon. And then I realized I was like, why am I even going through this extra effort? So, um, yeah, it was just, uh, <laughs> years of, Hey, I'm not, I don't kind of dig this environment. I don't really like what's happening. Um, I'm going to kind of go my own way and really just kind of stuck to my guns and things slowly got better, slowly got better, slowly got better, slowly got better. I never had to go back on the drugs. I never ended up taking the cancer drugs. And I'd say probably, yeah, like a good year or so. I finally was able to stop taking the protandum. And, you know, maybe if there was like a one-off type night or something like that where I'd need to put it back in my system, it'd get better. Um, But the real, I guess, kind of cherry on top, and this happened afterwards, I was licensed, I was practicing, I was, you know, living better, all that good stuff. And we did, or they were, the school had, the Center for Neurosomatic Studies had just begun and they were doing a Bach flower class. And Paul was hosting that class and he was explaining the emotional connection with all this stuff. Because when I did the seminars, the Bach stuff wasn't involved. It may have been mentioned, but it wasn't a a, a point. And um, he used me as an example because I was, I'll say like the TA, I guess, of the day. I was just helping out. And uh, he was like, hey, you know, Let's go through this. And he was just giving an example of like, hey, this is how you would run through an interview process of trying to understand someone's emotional patterns. And basically, Bach flowers, the, the, the essence uh, of it is there, uh, uh, Dr. Batch discovered certain emotional patterns in flowers at frequencies. And by taking that flower or basically a, uh, an essence-soaked water, so they put the flower in the water and the water kind of pulls in that, that frequency, so to speak, um, 
and then you kind of bottled it up sort of a thing. He was finding that by taking these frequencies, it was balancing out the emotional patterns in his clients or in his patients. So um, Paul's doing this whole assessment and it, things clicked in this moment in the sense of some things that the, the gastroenterologist had said, had said and kind of what I was experiencing still, because it was still, there's personality traits to autoimmune stuff. Um, so one, there's a gut component. That's kind of the, the, the gist of this kind of first uh, section of the, of the podcast is um, there's a huge gut component. You probably have a leaky gut, which I think is kind of where I started. Uh, my gut flora was highly damaged, uh, if <laughs> even existent, I have no idea. Um, I was developing uh, almost like a cheesecloth type intestinal tissue. So when fecal matter is leaking out of the intestines, the immune system's like, well, this isn't supposed to be in the blood and immediately attacks the area. So when we see that these autoimmune conditions and, and autoimmune areas, we have to beg the question, how is the area reacting and what's maybe happening around it? Now, I don't have as much uh, 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 experience with like Hashimoto's and like thyroid issues and stuff like that. And I've had a couple patients with like lupus, but the gut stuff really makes sense to me because it was my own journey. Um, but it makes sense if, if there's holes in the intestine and things are coming out in the system, of course, the body's going to want to attack it. Of course, it's going to want to uh, or is going to create inflammation and in a sense, scar tissue over time. So, um, yeah, it was just like, holy cow. So anyway, Paul is sitting there running me through the, the, the Bach flower stuff. And the gist of mine was, uh, at this point and still in this life, this point in my life, I look up to Paul. Um, and at the time, you know, I probably thought he walked on water and I was just like, here he goes, he asked me the question. He goes, Hey, if I asked you to go down and get me a soda, you know, would you do it? Like no questions asked. I'm like, yeah, of course, Paul, no big deal. He goes, if I asked you to drive to Tampa and we're in clear water, so maybe 30 minutes or so, would you go get me a soda in Tampa? Yeah. Yeah, Paul. And by this point, I'm starting to chuckle to myself. And he goes, if I asked you to drive to the other side of the state, he goes, would you go get me a soda? And I'm like, yeah, of course, man. Like, whatever. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? And um, it was in that moment, and he kind of came full circle with this, but I had an issue with I would choose people that I would put in authoritative positions. Um, so, for instance, if I got pulled over, um, I think highly of cops. I appreciate all the work that they do. I think they help keep our community safe. And when I get pulled over, even if I knew I did something, say I didn't do anything wrong, or to my knowledge, right? Um, I immediately have the sense that I need to not appease this person, but prove to this person that I'm righteous or good in some capacity. And, um, basically I was doing this to myself. So upon reflecting this after Paul was, you know, kind of breaking it down, I realized that there was, you know, a previous job, not my direct manager, but the store manager, I would, I would kind of put in that place. Uh, Paul, I had begun putting in that place and looking back over time, I had these, these figures that I put up on a pedestal and I had this insatiable need to want to prove myself to them and I would destroy myself. That is just how I'm programmed. I will go to the ends of the earth. I will run myself into the ground. It's not a healthy trait, but that's what I do. And after Paul explained this, I realized that part of my issue was not just the gut component and all the things I was doing to dysregulate and all the damage that had been done over the years, but that I was also holding on and, and I'm just, I'm a, a type A personality. So I internalize stuff and just keep going. Um, I was holding on to Pandora's box, so to speak, and holding it in my gut 
and then things were beginning to manifest. So uh, not only did I have like the the, probio- or the the antibiotics and the leaky gut issue and the excessive amounts of food, but then I had this this need to prove myself and this emotional just like relentlessness. And I remember there was even a time when I worked at Sports Authority, which is now bankrupt. Um, they were like redoing the soccer area or something like that. Well, I'm a very just go get it type person, right? So I destroy the area which is just kind of how things look when I'm doing them. And then I put it back and it all looks great and things are perfect and lined up and things make sense where they're at and all that sort of stuff. But I would not feel a sense of completion until it was finished and I kind of got that approval of the figure that I put up on the pedestal, which is a dangerous place to be because if that person never acknowledges it or never acknowledges what you want them to, you are up shit creek, my friend. So... A lot of people with autoimmune issues, I do recommend, we have the Bach flower stuff on our website now as far as like an intake form to make it more convenient for people. I know the Bach website has it as well. You can get certain essences and stuff like that. But when people are really stuck in in an autoimmune condition or just an emotional state, I had met a young girl recently who uh, still hadn't really grieved the loss of her father. He had passed uh, when she was young. Now she's going off to college and she will still reference her father as though he's still working to this day. And he's still, you know, in that, that, portion of, uh, of industry, whatever that he was working in. And we had discussions with the mother and, and I was like, Hey, you know, there's, there's essences, there's remedies for fear of losing those that you loved or fear of, of loved ones in general. Um, and we kind of talked about that and it's like, these things have to be addressed if we want to get well long-term. So, uh, those are kind of the big components I realized with the autoimmune stuff. And the last being the emotional component. I think most people are not most, but uh, many that have autoimmune conditions are internalizing. They're storing that stuff. They're just kind of pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. And um, it's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. Like I said, if you're, especially if you're relying on someone else or say it's a fear of, you know, family, things like that, something happening to them, well, your family's going to leave the house every day. So you're going to be really tormented. So you have to do some mental, emotional work, maybe get some therapy. But having the Bach flowers in there as well, uh, the way I describe it is it kind of, especially when somebody explains how you are to you, it helps. But I always explain it like there's a, if you're walking down a hallway and it's the same hallway you walk down every time you react to something, all of a sudden, as you're walking, there's a door that's kind of cracked, like it's open slightly. And your brain, my brain at least, acknowledged that opening. And it was, I can either walk down this hallway and react the same way I always have, or I can turn in this door. And it just, it again, inviting the body to change, giving the body opportunities to do what it wants to do naturally. And it helped. It helped. Uh, and I, trust me, by no means that it like, it's not a medication, doesn't go away. So to this day, there can be moments where I'll catch myself falling into that. But I've actually done a really good job, uh, I feel, of pulling people out of those positions because um, it's not healthy to be in in the first place. And it has helped, you know, developing my career, feeling as though I, I have something. Uh, I am not only valued as an individual, but I have something of value to offer society, um, which in the beginning, and, and I'll kind of go back to this too. The one thing the doctor had mentioned was, uh, I'll say 22 to 24, and then like 60 to 65 or 63 to 65. And it may have changed, but those were the old stats on when Crohn's would appear which also raised another red flag. I'm like, what, what disease ever known to man disappears for 40 years? Like it made no sense. So I kind of realized, oh, I know what's happening. 
not only are all these other things happening, which I think the antibiotic thing is a big contributing factor because that covers a lot of people, but in your early 20s, you're in college. You're trying to figure out who you want to become. You're trying to figure out who you're going to be. And when you're in your 60s, oh, Medicare, retirement, ending who you thought you were, the career, the position, wherever you established yourself, it's all winding down. These are very stressful moments. These are very anxious moments for people. They are not typically discussed. And if they are discussed, they're not really processed. It's just kind of talked about. And I think a lot of people, it's just nobody's really looking into it. And it just comes back to the emotional stuff. There's things that affect us in life. Um, and I think my wife had just mentioned something about like Germanic medicine or something that every trauma or problem in your body, illness, sickness, sort of a thing, it can be related to an emotional thing. Um, and again, it's kind of where I think with, um, uh, my cortisol crashing, right? It's uh, very anxious, very stressed, trying to make things happen. Uh, time sensitive situations, you know, vacations have to be here, have to be there, have to get back. Um, pressures, deadlines, all that, all that, all that, all that contributes. Um, so yeah, just, um, uh, that's kind of a blanket of it all. Um, I know it's a little bit longer than I probably wanted to go, but, um, some other things that I can, I can cover too, before we get in the Q and a is, uh, I had been better for a number of years. I'll say maybe two or three. And what I mean better by, I no longer had watery stools. I, uh, had no gut pain. Um, most of the, the, the sharp kind of knife pain I had mentioned, that was kind of like a one-off thing. Uh, I never really noticed it again. Uh, typically what I would notice was general inflammation in the lower abdomen that would make my pants, jeans, things like that feel tighter. Um, but I had met a practitioner here in Sarasota, Florida, and, uh, she at the time, uh, had partnered up with, uh, a naturopath of sorts and they developed kind of like a well-rounded, I'll say like a, a wellness protocol, like a year long kind of thing. And it went, it broke down through everything. So it was like digestive. And then we do like, um, I think they did like liver and heavy metals and they did parasites. Well, the short of that was I kind of, I cherry picked a little bit cause I knew, I just knew kind of what my body had going on and what it needed. So I did the normal digestive cleanse. And I will say this people that don't do cleanses regularly, I'd recommend one, you know, or maybe even a, uh, what do they call it? A colonic. Um, something to flush your system out. Cause even though my system was inflamed and I had loose stools, when I went through that so much, I feel like was kind of caked onto my intestinal walls that kind of freed up finally that I just felt better in general afterwards, like things that should have been moving and couldn't move were finally able to displace and get out of the system. And then the new things, the healing things, et cetera, could come back in. Um, the other thing I, I, I discovered was I didn't have heavy metals. If anything, I was very, uh, high methylator. Um, if there's metals in my body, my liver's getting rid of them. Um, but I did had a moment where I'd eaten something that wasn't really, it wasn't cooked as well as it should have been. And, uh, just being courteous, I ate it. And I remember I had this like terrible abdominal pain. Well, when we got to the parasite portion of the cleanse, parasites. And one of the things she had talked about was, um, parasites can create hemorrhoids, you know, when they burrow into the mucosa, which my caveman mind back in, you know, lifting days was hemorrhoids were from, you know, too much protein, dehydrated, straining, things like that. Nobody had ever raised the question about parasites or even, you know, Hey, this is a possibility. So when we did the parasite, th uh, cleanse, sure enough, had some of that stuff kind of emerge, had some eruptions, had some blood in my stools. Um, very alarming, obviously, but I had, I had already been through kind of like a shit show 
So it was just like, all right, well, like, what's a little bit more? Like, okay, just one more thing to kind of work through here. Um, but things would resolve fairly, fairly quickly. And um, I want to say during that, she had uh, given me some ivermectin. That kind of like nuked whatever was in my system because the herbs, whatever I was on, was just kind of um, pissing them off. Wasn't really getting rid of them fast enough. And then because I didn't have the heavy metals, we kind of skipped the heavy metal type stuff. But she still wanted me to do a liver detox. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So I start the liver detox. Boom, blood of my stools again. And that's when I realized, or she had kind of done some digging and she said, hey, I think you have this type of parasite. And I believe she called it a liver fluke. Um, kind of a little flat fishy looking thing. And I really think because when I ate the undercooked food, I had massaged my liver that day and something had calmed down. And that was the only thing that made me feel better. Like it was just, I couldn't, I was like bending backwards, basically trying to take pressure off my abdomen. And when I treated my liver, it faded. Well, here we are six years later doing a liver detox. Boom. Blood in my stools. Okay. Something's going on. She goes, hey, I think you have a liver, pa- or a, a liver fluke. Gives me another dose of ivermectin. I think I had to take it for a couple days. Bleeding stops. Never see the parasite. I mean, there's, especially if it's, I don't know where it's at or how the body kind of sorts some of this stuff out, but my suspicion is some of it is absorbed. I mean, it's, if you eat a bug, right? I mean, it's, you're gonna, your body's gonna break it down like it's food. So I feel like if they are in your system, I feel like there is some metabolism that's, that's taking place. I'm no doctor. I don't know all that kind of stuff. Um, but I do think that's a component because I never saw anything leave where sometimes you'll actually see parasites, uh, in your stools. Uh, and trust me, I was looking, but, um, yeah, the bleeding stopped, the, the uncomfortable stuff stopped. And that was kind of the, it for the, the final protocols, but that was some extra stuff that I guess if I would have known of, uh, ahead of time or kind of when I was dealing with things more so, um, I would have opted for a little bit sooner. Um, so yeah, uh, if anybody out there is de- uh, struggling with, uh, autoimmune type conditions, definitely keep in mind that, um, you know, there are emotional factors. Um, diet is tremendously important, uh, documenting, having a food journal, uh, using a, uh, an elimination type diet. Um, you really need to be your own advocate because good practitioners cost money. Not everybody has money. Um, but a lot of people have time and that's what I had at the time. Pardon me. Was. I had more time than I had funds and I was researching, I was investigating and ultimately just turned myself into a guinea pig. And in some regard, you know, I was younger then too. I have, I have three kids now. So, you know, would I be as risky? I don't know, probably. But at the same time, like as a parent, you know, you think about things a little differently and I can see some hesitation, uh, on on some people, but, um, it's, you gotta do, you gotta be your own advocate and you gotta go out there and you just gotta, you just got to kind of get in the trenches. So, um, that's my story. That's kind of how I ended up here. That's how uh, a little bit of neurosomatic therapy helped me as well. Um, kind of was part of my, my foundation in getting well and understanding that it could help people and seeing the significance and how it could help people and the capacity in which it could, you know, uh, with some of these kind of severe conditions and stuff. So, um, all right, well, I'm going to digress from that and we are going to get into some Q and a, I had someone send in a question, a couple questions, actually. Um, the first one is, uh, how do we treat the writing reflex? Um, kind of part of the love reactor system, how the body's governing itself and how would you best explain it to patients? Uh, and do patients receive homework or do you focus on treatments alone? So, um, I do give a little bit of homework. I'll start with this. Um, 
you know, sometimes it's a wall exercise, you know, improving their pad, their posture, having them walk down the hall, having them learn to cross pattern, swinging their arms and things properly, which is part of the whole writing reflex and Levitt reactor. Um, I, I've always been kind of, of the, of the belief you're coming to me as a specialist for my skills and abilities. Um, the time that I have with you, that's what I want to be doing. Um, I, there's things that I don't know as well as neurosomatic therapy. So could we spend time stretching? Of course. Could we spend time doing some exercises and stuff like that? Of course. Um, are there also really well-trained physical therapists and personal trainers in town? Yes, of course. And I know them. So it's kind of, I've always kind of taken the stance of like, I'm going to stay in my lane and I'm going to let them stay in their lane. And just cause I can do it doesn't mean I need to do it. So I do kind of, I'll tiptoe around. Sometimes I'll give people little things to do. Um, uh, electrolytes, water consumption, proper hydration is usually a good recommendation, not for detoxing, but because that's what your body needs to function properly. Um, again, the wall exercises or having someone practice, you know, some external rotation stuff because they're so internally rotated, little things like that, or maybe of adjusting, you know, their mirrors in their car. Uh, once we get thing, things working properly, cause their posture changes. And the last thing I want you to do is have a good posture when you leave and be implementing a new pattern and then have you default back to how you, you have to sit in the car to back up properly. So making little adjustments like that can really help, um, little things. So I'll say like kind of micro homeworks, um, but nothing where I want you to do this exercise, you know, three times a week, this many reps, this many, I don't do all that. Um, in in 10 years of doing this, or actually I'll say running my clinic for 10 years, um, I found that I get, I get better results and I'm willing to take the Pepsi challenge with just doing the techniques and doing the therapy and leaving the other stuff to other, uh, uh practitioners, uh, uh, whether it be a physical therapist, personal trainer. And, um, it's worked out well. And I know, you know, there's people out there that probably want to do a little stretching and stuff like that. That's fine. That can totally be part of your, your gig. Um, for me, wasn't my cup of tea. wasn't what I wanted. Um, I really just wanted to, well, and I'll, I'll say this too. My initial want, uh, as far as a career was to be a dietitian. And I remember my, my mom asking me one time and she was like, Oh, you know, that'd be great. You know, you'd help so many people. And she was like, you know, where do you think you'd work? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't want to help people. I want to work with athletes. You know, that's kind of the, the train of thought I was in is I want to work with competitors. I want to work with people that are doing stuff not just the average Joe. And she's like, well, if you get that degree, that's probably not where you're going to end up. And I was just like, whoa, pump the brakes. Like, you know, if I tell somebody to eat something now, they don't listen, you know? So it's like, Hey Casey, how'd you get so big? Oh, I eat a lot of chicken or rice. Do you want to eat chicken or rice too? No, I don't want to eat chicken or rice. Okay. Well then, you know, I don't know how to get your results. So I kind of put that on the back burner. And when I found neurosomatic therapy, the one thing I really liked about it was and I don't want to say your ability to get better was dependent on me because I, I have limitations and there might be other uh, therapists that excel at things that I don't. Um, but I knew that you getting better was more relying on me doing a good job and I was willing to show up in spades. So I really kind of embraced the, let me do my work. Let me do my work. Well, let me get into my scientist kind of mode and sort things out for you. And I'm going to convey these messages and try to explain them the best I can. And as simple as I can, um, but that's much better than me wasting time giving an exercise or like at one point I did some, um, uh, what was it called? Muscle activation techniques. Um, I thought it, Oh, this would be great. Like we can improve dysfunction 
and get tissues to fire better. And what I found is I could integrate them some, but I might get something to fix. And then the things that I'm asking them to do on the table, they're doing immediately after me working on them, which their body now hasn't knowing, uh, 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 hasn't fully adjusted. They haven't created any locomotion, any movement to let their body adapt to the changes. And they might slide backwards. And I've caused myself problems where I got behind schedule. I end up having to spend, you know, an extra 30 minutes with somebody basically trying to fix the own mess, uh, my own mess that I created because I was trying to do extra stuff. Um, so I do hesitate or kind of pump the brakes when it comes to homework. Um, that's just me. Uh, everyone kind of has their own way of doing it, but, um, Part of, and I guess we'll kind of segue back into the writing reflex and the love it reactor stuff is, um, treating that as kind of priority for me. Um, we need your system to work properly in a sense. We need the control center operating at full capacity or close to it. Um, and everything else seems to get a lot easier. And, um, I remember reflecting back on just like how certain therapists were able to get such good results so quickly. And it almost seemed like effortless, whereas I'm like beating my face against the wall, trying to sort stuff out. And I really realized that um, many times the, that, that reflex mechanism, the Lovett reactor, is being addressed. And the simplicity of it is, say your, um, your, your right ear, your temporal bones move where your ears are, and your hip bones move. So if your right hip is higher, your right ear should be lower. Opposites attract. When someone comes in, and this is all the time, I feel like many times that mechanism and not just that one, there's multiples are stuck and it's pretty much come become like my bread and butter of every first appointment is we're assessing your love it reactor system. Not only is it low impact, we can cover a lot of information in that first appointment, but we can also get some good results. And when that person comes back in, we usually have a better idea of if they have a structural or a functional leg length issue. Um, functional ones oftentimes come from those mechanisms not working properly. And a lot of times people get a lot of relief just from getting those mechanisms to work properly. Um, it almost kind of seems like a, a little bit of a miracle thing you can do, um, to get that all to work and communicate better again. But when it's working, and this is kind of like referencing the, the whole adjusting the mirror in your car, you will posture up better because your spine is now stacking the way that it should be because it's governing itself the way that it should be. And for most people, uh, again, this goes back to traumas. Who knows when it stopped doing what it was supposed to be doing, what trauma dysregulated it. And for some people, they may have never experienced, even if they thought they felt good as a child, they may have never experienced the best they could have as being a child. And it's because some of these things are underlying. So, um, it is kind of the, the, the first thing I go to address. It is something we cover the first appointment. It's something I explain the easiest, like the kind of the best, easiest way I can, um, without confusing the patients. Um, and then kind of in subsequent appointments, we, I'm going back and looking at that. I mean, this is kind of how I treat in generals. I'm always going back and referencing what I did. And if what I did influenced the structure, to move the way that I wanted it to. Cause if it didn't, well, I'm pissing in the wind. I'm, I'm missing something. So sometimes say somebody comes in and I get their system to re-regulate. If they come back in and now all of a sudden their head is balanced, but they have pelvic inequities, I immediately go to what may be holding or fixating their pelvis in that position and not letting it communicate with the rest of it. Because obviously the upper end of the, of the system, the, the, uh, the Levitt reactor, the writing reflex is starting to communicate but the lower half just can't get there. And as we begin to talk to people, we begin to find out too, maybe they had a trauma, they had a hip injury, maybe a hip replacement, 
all sorts of different stuff. Um, so that's kind of where I, I, where I sit with that, but it is priority. Um, and some people get frustrated. Some people get mad. They're like, well, you know, what does this have to do with this? And again, I got to take more time and explain it. Um, but you know, you're just like you want to be a good therapist. People want good therapists as well. And you kind of have to hold your line. Um, there are some times where people get mad and they're just like, well, just work on my shoulder. And I may stop what I'm doing and spend some time on that just to appease them. But I let them know that, you know, maybe certain things that didn't let go in the shoulder or, or, you know, kind of work the way that I wanted it to, uh, wanted to that appointment. Uh, I will relate it to, Hey, if these things worked, this would get easier. And again, just trying to reinforce that message, um, which is kind of your job as a, as a therapist, you're here to inform and educate as well as treat. So, um, okay. On to the next one. Um, question number two, how to best determine sequence of treatments? What's prioritized and why? So I guess I kind of covered this, uh, just a minute ago. Uh, I always prioritize the, the Lovett reactor and the writing reflex. Uh, I want my patients bodies talking well, uh, communicating fully throughout the entire structure. And I want them moving. Um, the body loves locomotion. It loves mobility. It loves a variety. Um, so people say that are at a desk all day, I'll encourage them to go maybe do some, some weightlifting, some things to add tone, to add contrast to their body compared to, you know, sitting in a chair all day. Or if say you're digging ditches, you need to go hit up the Pilates class, buddy. Uh, don't be trying to impress people with your bench and everything like that. Save that for another day. Spend time doing things differently. So if you're loading your body, digging ditches, using your body, you're getting a lot of dynamic movement. What you're not getting is allowing your body to actually open up. So, um, depending on the activities of the person, kind of what they do, I will pick different kind of, um, um, or I'll, I'll point to certain things as an insight, like, Hey, you do a lot of this. You should probably do some of this to contrast this. And when you begin to explain that the body likes variety and that when you walk and people will, well, they'll comment on this or like, Oh yeah, I feel better when I'm walking. Well, of course, because your body's trying to figure out where you are in space and regulate the system at the same time. Whereas when you're stuck or you're sitting down, it knows where it is. It knows it's not moving. And now your body's conforming to whatever position you left it in. So don't be shocked that, you know, when you try to go play basketball and you sit in a chair all day, that your body doesn't want to play basketball very well, or maybe you, you sustain injuries and stuff. Well, you're literally holding the, the posture of being in a chair all day onto the court. So it's not just going to open up. It's not just going to behave the way that you want it to. Now, if you, um, say worked in a desk all day and then, you maybe, you know, did some lifting or did maybe even like a Pilates class, like I said, for somebody who does more manual labor and then went off and played basketball. And it wasn't just a Saturday event. It was, hey, I'm going three, four times a week. Different story. Because now your body's getting that variety routinely. Um, so that is something I try to convey as far as like how, or uh, maybe some, uh, uh, again, homework, uh, some things that people could do. Um, but really just kind of uh, uh, enlightening them to, hey, you have these tendencies and your body doesn't like it. Um, it's no different than if you were to be sleeping improperly in bed, it's just where you're leaving your body. You know, you can't just put it on autopilot and just kind of set it aside. So, um, the, as far as sequence of treatments, once I kind of prioritize the Lovett reactor stuff, I do try to prioritize where people are feeling pain, but usually at that point, we've already started making some, 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 um, or gathering some insights as to what's kind of holding the problem. Um, usually the symptoms have begun to evolve as well, which is always a good thing when symptoms begin to change or, uh, evolve it, it kind of take it as a reminder, uh, uh, like a notation that the things are moving. The body's trying to sort things out. 
and you may have moved something and they may feel worse. Um, that's why measurements are great because you can always go back and say, well, you were here. This is where you are today. And I had this with a, a new patient yesterday. I think this was the third time I'd seen her. She was doing great. And I haven't seen her in two months because I was out of town and just some other things. And she had come back. <laughs> All right. So uh, two times in one episode. <clears throat> I think this might be a new record. Um, all right. So hold on. Okay. So again, Jesus is just relentless today. Oh, something's trying to keep me from putting it out. All right. So, um, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, showing people, this is how you were. This is how you are today. This is how what we treated changed your posture. Um, so the, re the measurements and stuff can be a good reinforcing thing. Um, I know as a young therapist, I would always get very discouraged when people would come back feeling worse, thinking you broke them or did something wrong. Sometimes you're just creating change and it agitates the system. Um, but that's kind of when you have to encourage your patients. Like this is a bit of a process. Uh, you got to see it out. I mean, just like my Crohn's journey, you know, I was in the trenches for a couple of years. Uh, before I got to the point where I, I had no symptoms, I had no, you know, inflammation, I wasn't getting the watery stools, I wasn't dependent on anything. Um, and it just takes some time and you have to, you know, communicate that message well. Um, it's not a drug type fix. Um, it's a, uh, well, uh, the, the term I heard recently is, uh, you know, we don't do microwave treatments, we do crockpot treatments. So, our work is going to take some time and not that it's going to take forever or that I need to see you for infinity and beyond. It's just that this is going to be a little bit of a process and you need to pump your brakes and be calm about that. Uh, if you want microwave results, you're not going to be happy with what you have to go through. Um, you're going to be out of pocket, a lot of money. You're going to have a lot of maybe failed surgeries. You're going to have things that and failed in the fact that they didn't help what they said they were going to help. Um, it can just get messy, messy real quick. So, um, yeah, you just kind of have to convey that, Hey, this is going to take a little time and I'm here to walk us alongside with you. And this is kind of what we're going to do to get you well. Um, so yeah, I appreciate the, uh, excuse me. I appreciate the questions. Uh, I hope that this, uh, uh, we'll say the autoimmune episode gets a little, um, uh, 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 a little education out there, not just in my own journey and kind of what I did, uh, not that what I have is like a, you know, a cookie cutter PDF. This will get you out of Crohn sort of a thing, but I hope it provides some insights and, uh, uh, maybe some people share it with some people they know that are struggling. And, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's kind of relying on you, but, um, you get to make a decision and the practitioners you work with, the doctors you choose and the things you choose to put in your body. So it's, um, it's just a matter of, uh, owning it and, um, you'll be fine. Surround yourself with good people. Uh, surround yourself with people that care. Uh, many practitioners I've met and found uh, were injured in some way themselves, whether it be through a, uh, a physical injury or a um, something physiological happening inside. Um, we all can have a broken wing in a sense, and we're out there to help you. And there's others that aren't. And um, I think most people have pretty good discernment when you feel or meet people and you know their heart's in the right place. So um, just surround yourself with people that care and um, are willing to help you along your journey. But this has been a great episode. I uh, hope you all tune in. Uh, sorry for some of the inconsistencies. Again, building it as we fly it, but uh, we'll get it better. We'll get it better. Uh, again, follow us on uh, YouTube. 
please like and share. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram. And if you want to send us any uh, uh, questions, uh, hit us up, send us a direct message on uh, Instagram uh, or an email. Uh, send us to uh, nstandthings uh, at gmail.com. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. Have a good one.